Hello, everybody, and welcome to Socks on Tap. I am Johnny Nani, joined today by Tony Marchese and NWI Steve. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Doing very well, guys. How are we doing? Yeah, it's good to be back on the mic. Uh, I think this is the first time us three have gotten together. Last episode, it was uh, you, uh, Steve, myself, and Buzz. Buzz couldn't join us tonight, but uh, we're here. we got a nice little uh, guest episode appearance coming on tonight. So, uh, Johnny, why don't you let everybody know who we got? Yeah, for sure, Tone. Uh, this is an exciting one. We have Scott Merkin from MLB.com who covers the White Sox. He's been doing that for 17 years. Um, it's a good, timely uh, you know, guest here because the winter meetings are coming up Sunday through Thursday. And then uh, also, you know, we had some big news in the White Sox world yesterday, missing out on Zach Wheeler. So we'll get to all the details and the nitty gritty of that with Scott. But um, yeah, I'm excited, guys. Yeah, I am too. I don't know about you guys, but... Uh... I think we've seen better days. This is a perfect guest to uh, to kind of pick their brain and, and get a little insight as to uh, what the Sox might do to recover from, from losing out on Wheeler. I know all three of us are probably uh, a little bit, uh, I don't know, down in the dumps on it, but uh, the show must go on. So uh, I don't know about you guys. I'm ready to talk to Scott. Yeah, definitely. Let's get it rolling. Are you ready? All right, and we are back. We're joined by our guest, Scott Merkin of MLB.com, covering the White Sox for them for 17 years now. Scott, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Not uh, too bad. Uh, we, we appreciate you uh, joining the show, and um, you know, obviously a lot to talk about here news-wise on the White Sox front uh, with the Zach Wheeler signing in Philadelphia just yesterday, and uh, winter meetings coming up here, so we kind of wanted to um, you know, get, get the uh, whole perspective uh, from your side of things here. And um, you know, just kind of give White Sox fans a little bit of outlook for what uh, this next upcoming week and you know next few months really could look like. So, first of all, what what was uh, your initial reaction to the whole Zach Wheeler situation yesterday? Yeah, I was going to say first, I, I usually laud over other people the uh, the great weather I'm going to for the winter meetings, but really it's pretty nice in Chicago right now, right? So there you can't really, uh, I mean, San Diego is always beautiful, but you can't really brag on anything because it's like 45 to 50 degrees right now in Chicago, so. No one complained. But uh, back back to Wheeler, I, mean, I was a little surprised because what I was hearing was I get let's see he said so it was Wednesday right so he announced they announced Wednesday and I was hearing like Tuesday that it was three teams and I didn't hear the Phillies name in that so you know I think the Phillies had shown interest all along but I think they really came up you know big on that last night there and into Wednesday morning and pushed it through. And, you know, I mean, it's a great signing for them. I, you know, again, I've discussed this with Steve and discussed this with other people, too. I think Zach Wheeler is more a signing right now. Not that he was bad, of course. He had, you know, two really solid years back-to-back as part of a really good Mets rotation. But I, I think you're signing him more for what you project from him in the future. You know, this isn't more of a – you know, I think Madison Bumgarner, who's actually – which surprises some people, is basically the same age as Wheeler – but Madison Bumgarner, you're looking more, I think, at what he's done already, and he's arguably one of the best, you know, if not the best postseason pitcher in our in our lives. And I, I probably not the best, but one of the best in that team picture. And so I think Wheeler's getting this money because you know he's young, he doesn't have a ton of innings on him because of the Tommy John surgery and the time off he had after that, where he missed you know the 16 season also, and then part of 17. So I think you know you have a good young live arm to put in rotation. And let's face it, he would have as much as. People might look and say, well, you know, is this what his, you know, what he's worth? Well, yes, he is. That's what he's offered, first of all. And B, I mean, you know, he, he would fit in, he would have fit in perfectly with that White Sox rotation. He could have kind of grown together with the Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech and Ronaldo Lopez and whoever else comes out of the, 
you know, Dane Dunning, Jimmy Lambert group. So, yeah, very. I know, you know, a couple people I talked to from the Sox afterwards were disappointed. They really felt they were right there, you know, in the final two with the Phillies. And in the end, you know, the story was that he went with a family consideration that his fiance is from the New Jersey area and wanted to be on the East Coast. And that's why he picked the Phillies and went with uh, a little less money from the Phillies than what the White Sox were offering. Hey, Merck, it's Steve. Again, really appreciate you coming on here. So kind of following up on that family discussion piece of it here, you know, there's a segment of White Sox Twitter that believes that that's really just a convenient excuse that he's using that to camouflage the fact that he really didn't respect the Sox organization and really didn't have any interest in coming here ultimately. Do you have any indication or did you hear anything to that effect? Or is it simply just a matter of he did ultimately want to be on the East Coast for those family reasons? Well, you know, I, I don't know him at all. And I don't know his family situation really. But from what I heard, you know, I know they met with him face to face. And I think, you know, from what I heard, he liked what they had to say. But, you know, we heard the same thing about Manny Machado and Bryce Harper last offseason, and that didn't work out. Rick Hahn made a very salient point during this whole process last offseason in that, you know, it's called free agency for a reason. You know, these guys can pick where they want to go. And unfortunately for the Sox and the spot they're in, which, you know, is kind of a burgeoning team, but still, let's be honest, a team that, you know, since what, two th- has gone to one playoff, well, actually has not gone to the playoffs since 2008. I was going to say since the last, since they won the World Series, I don't know, five, they've been to one playoff series and they've had one winning season since 2012. So, again, you look at these young guys and you say, man, Moncada, you know, is the, he was a great last year. He should be consistently, you know, in the MVP picture every year. Eloy Jimenez is an elite hitter. Tim Anderson is kind of the heart and soul of that team and, you know, a really good player overall. Jose Abreu is still a strong offensive player. And you see the, the pitchers I mentioned, and, and you like what you see. But, you know, these guys are kind of giving their prime years to the team, and they have the right to pick what they want. And maybe, you know, maybe that was a, a convenient excuse. I don't think it was a disrespectful move towards the White Sox, but it might just be, I don't want to say more respect to the Phillies. Maybe he thought in the long run, well, maybe there is, is a family consideration, but you know what? I think they're going to have a better chance to win the next two or three years, and that's what I really want. And that's fair to, you know, the free agents. So that's incumbent on Rick and Kenny and everyone else in the organization, Ricky Renteria, who's meeting with these guys. And obviously the vision was seen and worked with Yasmani Grandal. So, you know, it's incumbent on them to now the next starting pitcher they go after because they are not stopping, you know, with Wheeler. It wasn't like a zero-sum game there. If they didn't get him, it was over and they'd move on and, you know, just go with what they had. So, I mean, it's incumbent on them to kind of push the the envelope and, and show what they have and try and convince them that – not try and convince them, but show that with the money there's a, a big future on this side of town too. Mark, it's Tony. Um, here's I, you led this right into the next question. Where do you think that they go starting pitching wise? You said that they're going to go out there and and try and get somebody. Who do you think fits this rotation the best? Out of Bumgarner, Ryu Keuchel, Wood, Miley, is there anybody else uh, out there in, in in your mind that would fit this rotation just as well as a Zach Wheeler? Well, it's kind of interesting. The three names that I've heard since kind of the end of the off season were uh, Cole Hamels because I'd heard that he really liked his experience in Chicago and it didn't look like the Cubs are bringing him back. But again, it didn't really matter. If the Cubs, I mean, well, it did matter. I guess if he wanted to stay with the Cubs and they were bringing him back, but it wasn't just that reason. I think he, you know, he saw what the Sox had too. Uh, Kyle Gibson was another one that I heard mentioned. And then obviously they put a lot of effort into Zach Wheeler as one of their priorities along with Grandal. So, you know, I, I'm not sure what the next one is, but I mean, there are plenty of good arms out there and just because they miss Wheeler. And I, I understand the disappointment. I understand where they were last off season too. I get that fans want to win that, you know, Rebuilds are fine, and you can revel in the prospects for a little while, but eventually, as I've already said, 
you got to get off the cover of Baseball America and off the top one or two rankings in MLB Pipeline, you know, from our company and win. You know, that's the whole point of these rebuilds, and that's what the Cubs did, and that's what the Royals did, and that was, that's what the Astros did. So I think there's plenty of options out there. You know, Ryu is a good option. Bumgard, I, I'm not saying that there's a direct connection right away. I'm just saying all these guys could be good fits. You know, Bumgardner, I think Keiko would be, you know, people talked about what a great job Keiko did with kind of the young starters in Atlanta last year. So I think he would fit real well because, I, you know, it doesn't seem like they're going after Strasburg or Cole, at least at this point. I mean, you know, when the Sox are quietest is when they're, you know, the most surprising pretty much. But I don't think they need to add a guy who you can clearly say is the ace of the staff. You know, I don't think you – I mean, sure, it would be great to add Cole or Strasburg. That would be tremendous. But I don't think we – I don't know if you guys agree, but I don't think Wheeler would have slotted in as automatically the number one guy. You know, I, I think he would have been in a mix of really good pitchers in that rotation. So if you get a guy like Keuchel and then get a second starter who, you know, I, I don't know, you take a shot on like Tuan Walker or someone like that, you know, who was non-tender, or someone else of that ilk, I mean, you still have a pretty good rotation. You're still pretty deep in pitching, and it also gives you the surplus to kind of make moves too. So, yeah, I think there are plenty of candidates out there. There are some that are a little more accomplished, some that maybe are a little more speculative, but it wasn't like Zach Wheeler was the only guy that was going to move you forward. I think there are other guys who can help this team without a doubt. Yeah, Mark, and you talk about uh, guys that are going to help this team moving forward and uh, filling holes uh, that they wanted to address via free agency. Another big one here. Um, could be right field, definitely. So, um, heard anything on the Castellanos, Ozuna, Cole Calhoun front? Any other possibilities? You know, I had heard. Um, I'm blank. Oh, Corey Dickerson. Man, I just totally blanked on his name. Getting older is is an interesting phenomenon. I'll tell you. Uh, I, I had heard Corey Dickerson mentioned a, a little bit at the end of the year, but I really haven't heard much on him since then. You know, I wasn't at the GM meetings in Arizona. I will be in San Diego for the winter meetings. But I, you know, heard one of Rick Hahn's quotes is that you know it won't be all free agency. There will be some trades in there. So. You know, I think you look at a team like Texas, who's got a lot of outfield surplus there that, that you could add on, you know, like a Nomar Mazar or something like that. I, I think you can't rule anything. I mean, I know Sox fans would love to have a Starling Marte out there in the outfield. I'm not sure if they, you know, they match up on, on that end, but it does look like Pittsburgh might be inclined to try and make a move you know, try and make a move with him. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, free agents are all possibilities. I think, I think right now it's safe to say unless something jumps up at him, I think their priority right now is starting pitching. Yeah, I I understand that Rick is working on a Rick Hahn is working on a lot of different things. I'm sure he wasn't like focused on Wheeler and people were calling about outfielders. He's like, nope, nope, can't talk to you until I get this done. You know, that's part of the job of, especially in the position he is in, where they're going from, you know, the third year of the rebuild to contending in a very winnable American League Central division. You know, is that you have to probably have, you know, it's kind of like those old things you used to see on like kid shows where the guy's spinning the plates and you got a lot of those going at the same time and you got to be able to handle a lot of different things. And Rick can do, you know, Rick's got Kenny Williams there and Nick Hostetler and Chris Getz. And, you know, I'm going to miss people. If I just keep Jeremy Haber. And then of course the, you know, the coaching staff on top of that. So, you know, I think still starting pitching is their, is their, um, their focus right now, but you know, Castanos, I know is another guy who really enjoys experience and man, did he take off? You know, he, he really did not have a great start to the season when he was in Detroit and I guess it's, you know, no offense to Detroit, but you can't blame them because that was a really bad baseball team after like the first 37 games last year. And then when he went to the Cubs and was, you know, with a team in contention, he took off from there. And I think he would really fit well in this lineup. But again, it's, 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 it's all kind of a, a big puzzle you're putting together and you got to see where, if you get this guy, then where do you go for this guy? You know, if you, if you get this guy as your starting pitcher, how does that affect what you do in right field? Or even if you want to add a DH or maybe another reliever or two. So, you know, Rick has kind of got all things going at once, trying to fit them all together. 
Mark, to kind of follow up on the right field question here, um, you know, I, we talked a little bit about some of the free agent pieces that are out there and some of the options that are available. Do you think it's possible that maybe they revisit the Jock Peterson discussions from last winter, or did I just ruin it by bringing his name back up? <laughs> yeah, I think isn't whatever those old uh, those old like urban legends are, where if you say his name three times, he's no longer on the trade table. Is that what it is? You can't you can't get him anymore. Oh, I was just gonna say, supposedly it was uh, you know Twitter breaking that uh, speculation last year. Right, right. I understand. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what happened was is that came out, and I think other teams got involved in that, and then you know the deal wasn't as. But I do know they had. You know, I, they, I think it was uh, Jason Canander, right, who had that first out there, and I think. Yeah, they they had interest. And I think they have interest now, but I think he's only got one this this year left, right? So, if if you're just dealing with one year, it depends how much you're willing to give up. And you know, if the Dodgers want to get rid of him, you know, they're they're working on. It. I mean, it's it's an interesting dynamic. It would probably be kind of if if a GM gave you this kind of access, it would be kind of fun to to go to a team like the Sox who are rebuilding on the verge of contention, or the Dodgers who have been right there knocking at the door and just can't get that last piece of the puzzle to, to go for it. It's amazing that a great organization, great, say that again, great organization like the Dodgers have not won a world series in you know, how many years at this point. And, you know, just to see what their off season is like, let's say from the end of the world series, right through till spring training. I mean, there, there's just gotta be so many things going on. And I would guess Peterson is part of that, you know, equation too. And I don't know if he's their focus right now. I think a lot of times you hear, Things like, you know, so-and-so has interest where it might be a team making a call and finding out what they want and then say, okay, no, we're not going to do that. I, I know Rick Hahn joked a little bit at SoxFest last year that there were guys linked to them last year who he didn't even know who their agent was because they had not – not that he didn't know, but he hadn't really talked to him because they had no interest in him, and yet they were linked to him. And the Sox are an easy mark on that because the Sox will not talk about rumors at all. They are dead, steadfast on that. You know, very, very rarely. If there's something out there that maybe is absolutely preposterous, they may make a comment then. But aside from that, they very rarely talk about rumors. So it's easy to link them in a bunch of things. But, yeah, I think Peterson is a left-handed bat who can play multiple off-field positions. You know, a veteran guy would be a, a real good fit on the White Sox. Merck, what do you think realistically the White Sox are willing to give up with? There's this notion that Rick Hahn won't trade some of these prospects that he's kind of acquired over the past few years. Is anybody on the table in, in these types of deals, or do you think that there's a, a specific tier of guys that he's willing to trade from to go get a right fielder, or even a starting pitcher? Where does that start with? Well, I go back to Jerry Reinsdorf's quote to Chuck Garfine. I think it was I think it was a year before the at the winter meetings before the um, rebuild started. So that would have been what the winter meetings of 2015, right? Because Chris Sale and Eaton were traded in 2016. We were near Washington D.C. and he said the only untradeable guy he ever had were number 23 for the Bulls. So I think. You know, there are certain guys who I think it would be very tough. To, I, they're not, you know, going to trade Luis Robert. They're not going to trade Yohan Moncada. They're almost certainly not going to trade Giolito. They're not going to trade Eloy Jimenez. You know, they're, they're, I, I think there's certain guys that even the best offer might not make them make a move. But I think, you know, pretty much anyone is fair game. And I, I think maybe the unmentioned name in this is Andrew Vaughn, who is, you know, projected to be a, a top-notch player at the plate and a good first baseman at that. But, I, you know, again – he could help the White Sox great in the greatly in the future, but he may help them now as a guy who can, you know, get them something in return to help the team, you know, contend in the next two or three years. But I don't know if yeah, I'm just, that's just a name I'm throwing out there. You know, I think again, that would be a very high level trade if his name was included. Same with Nick Madrigal. I don't think you'd see like 
you know, just a Madrigal for Jack Peterson traders. And there's nothing against Jack Peterson, but they value the control and what Madrigal and what Vaughn bring in the intangibles in terms of Madrigal is a gold glove defensive caliber player, has elite, you know, contact skills, Vaughn, great batting eye, great power, you know, easy kind of natural power. So, yeah, but I, I do think, you know, but here's the key thing, and I talked to Rick about this one-on-one at one point during the season when I did a story on the Fernando Tatis trade, which I know White Sox fans don't like mentioned, and Rick doesn't love it mentioned any more than anyone else. And I think the key thing here is know as much as you can about every player you have in that organization. You know, and it, it sounds like a kind of a ridiculous comment to make, but, you know, Tatis was a guy who barely had even played in the organization when they traded him, but there were some people who saw him that said, man, this kid's going to be really good. Now, I don't know if anyone knew – he was going to be, you know, third in the rookie of the year in the National League after they traded him if, you know, when they got rid of him and probably would have won it if he didn't get hurt or would have been very close to Alonzo, put it that way, if he didn't get hurt. But you got to know as much as you can about these guys. And that's why I think he's probably not, Rick's probably not looking to make a huge trade at this point. They're still kind of, the, you know, let's face it, some of these guys have blossomed, you know. Just look at the end of this year compared to the end of last year on the major league level and look at how much better people feel about Moncada and Giolito and what Jimenez did. And, you know, Cease learned so much in his first year. But there are some guys in the system who people projected as, you know, major league guys or high-level prospects who probably haven't hit their, you know, their high-level mark yet, haven't hit what's the best for them yet. So you have to be careful on that, that if you trade, you know, someone of that ilk, you get back exactly what you want, where you know that in the future you can look at this guy maybe playing well for another team and say, well, that's okay. You know, I mean, I think it's kind of like, you know, I, I know you – Sox fans don't like the Cub references, but it works because they went through the rebuild and everything else, and I can't think of one from the Astros on top of my head. But, you know, look at uh, Gleyber Torres, who killed it for New York this year, and he's probably going to be a top, what, 10 guy in the league for years to come. But, you know, the Cubs don't win the World Series without, who, without Chapman in return for that trade. So it's those kind of things. And I don't think the Sox are at that level yet where they're making that, you know, all-or-nothing trade where, okay, this is the piece that's going to put us over the top. They're probably a notch or two below that. But it still applies. You know, it still applies if you're getting a guy who's going to be your right fielder that you trade a guy who's, you know, may come out to be something. So the key thing is information. Got to have as many eyes or as much knowledge, analytics, scouting reports on it, as many people as you can so you know you're trading the right guy if you do make a move. Yeah, for sure, Merck. Definitely an interesting dynamic there, and we'll have to keep an eye on it, uh, what kind of moves get made up here uh, at the winter meetings. But um, just one thing really quick uh, before we really jump deep into these winter meetings that uh, you're going to be attending here shortly. Um, right. did I just wanted to touch on a Japanese outfielder, uh, Yoshitomo Tsusugo who the White Sox have been rumored to be interested in. I know you had said, you know, there's kind of uh, they're you know, tight lip there um, as when it goes to rumors or anything like that. But uh, a report from John Morosi today had said that the Tigers, Twins, Blue Jays are also interested um, for the services of this 28-year-old uh, outfielder and kind of play some third base and first base as well. Have you heard anything on that front? I've not heard much about him, but it's interesting because uh, I just recently talked to Shingo Takatsu uh, for kind of a where are they now story we're doing in the future. And, you know, Kenny Williams told me that Shingo was basically signed by looking at video. You know, he looked at video and he told Coop, you know, this guy's going to help you. Don't mess him up. Here you go. And he was great for them in 14. He was, I'm sorry, 14, jumping ahead a decade. He was great for them in 04, where he ended up, you know, supplanting Billy Koch as the closer. And I think he was second in the AL Rookie of the Year ballot. Now, unfortunately, you know, his style was figured out pretty quickly and he didn't even make it through, you know, the second year when they won the world series, but still was the closer at the beginning of the, 
that year for a World Series, you know, championship team. And the same goes for Tadahito Oguchi, who was really the last piece of that championship puzzle going into the season. I know they added, you know, Jeff Blum as the year went on, and they called Bobby Jenks up that year. But Aguchi was another guy who Kenny looked at through, you know, video for the most part and convinced Jerry Reinsdorf to go a little bit over budget to get him. And, I mean, he was huge on that team. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if you can go as far as saying they don't win in 05 without Aguchi, but, I mean, it's pretty close. You know, he was – he was such a just so great in so many areas for that team. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure they've looked at all avenues, and you know, it, I, I think he's going through the posting system right now. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. You know, it's it's a sort of player that could help a lot of different teams at kind of a you know and, and kind of add at a, a lower level. Maybe, you know, won't have the the pressure or whatever the, the intensity pursuit of like a you know. Garrett Cole or Nazuna as a position player, Castellanos. So, yeah, I think it's another option for them to kind of explore. Yeah, um, just w- when it comes to that, uh, just really quick, any uh, idea of what kind of term slash money is realistic uh, for a player of that type before we move on here? You know, I, I, I don't know the exact. I think it's different for different players and different teams. So I think that's, you know, we'll find out as that goes on. But, I mean, I, I, I don't think it, it's certainly not. I, from what I know of him, and I have to admit, I'm going to be honest, I don't know a ton about his game. You know, and but I mean, he certainly doesn't have the cachet of like an Ichiro coming over or an Otani coming over or anything like that. So I don't know what the exact, you know, posting is end up being, and then past the posting, what it, you know, what the contract will will work out to, would work out to be. All right, Mark, let's uh, let's segue this into a little bit of the winter meetings that are coming up here. What can we expect from the White Sox? Uh, obviously, I, th- I think uh, us as fans, we're looking at it to be a pretty active winter meetings. Uh, a little bit more active than they were last year. Uh, what do you expect to see out of the Sox next week? Well, yeah, I think active activity is going to be the biggest thing. Cause you know, last year there was just a lot. I mean, you guys remember just every day there was kind of a new leader for Harper or a new leader for Machado. And I think at one point during that time in Vegas, wasn't, you know, the, weren't the Sox considered like not just a favorite, but a pretty solid favorite for Harper. I want to say it was right. Because they met with him in Las Vegas at a, at the Aria where he was kind of stationed with Scott Boris. And I, I think there'll be activity this year. I think there'll be quite a few signings. I, I really do. I think uh, there's been a lot of legwork. Just speaking from the Sox side, I know there's been a lot of legwork putting in, put in to this off season. And I'm talking back to, you know, in season, you know, th- this, this was something they prepared for years before, not years before. Well, really it was years before because in this rebuild plan, this was the off season where they targeted to kind of make that move into the next level. Now, last year they tried to take advantage of the market and, you know, you can't tell Machado and Harper, well, you guys are great. We'd like to have you, but can you wait till next off season where we're really in the spot to get you guys? Obviously it doesn't work that way. So you got to go after the guys when you go after them. But I think, you know, this year they knew, I don't know if they knew that division was going to be this winnable going into 2020, but they knew they could take the jump up. You know, what did they improve 10 wins last year? They knew they could take another jump up with the right guys, and then 2021 would be really the you know the prime kind of championship window they were hoping for. So I think they're going to be active. You know, I I think they have a list. It's not like I I know it wasn't like they Wheeler was their target, and now Wheeler signed with the Phillies, and they're like, well, okay, now what do we do? I'm sure they have you know, I know they have you know, okay, B, C, D, or you know, next, 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 on who we want to go after. And they'll pursue those guys and, you know, go from there. But, I mean, you know, you know they're going after two starting pitchers. They want a, a right fielder, whether that's via trade or free agency. You know, I, I think DH is probably the lowest priority because of the fact that now you have, you know, you have Zach Collins still. 
you have Grandal, you have Abreu, you have McCann, and all can rotate in that DH spot. But it wouldn't hurt to add another player that you know maybe can help you out somewhere else too. And then I, you know, you always want to add relief, even though you have a decent core that you're bringing back from last year. With you know, I'm going to forget some of them: Marshall, Calame, Bummer, uh, Fry. You know, um, what was the kid? Uh, Cordero. So I mean, you have some guys come back, but you want to add some veteran presence in there too. So there's a lot of guys to add, but I think it would have been a little quieter if, if Wheeler would have said yes. I think the, the the high profile additions would have been probably done if Wheeler would have you know picked the White Sox on that one. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I think I think there's going to be. I remember there was a winter meetings. I want to say it was 08 in Las Vegas. We're literally, and I think my first one that we're in New Orleans also. Like, I remember Kenny Williams came the first day, and he goes, we can meet every day if you want, but we're not doing anything. There's nothing going on in these winter meetings. And he was right. There was nothing going on. And then that's the first one in Vegas in 08. There wasn't a lot that happened that that time either. So I think it'll be opposite of that. I think there's not just the Sox, but I think there's going to be a lot of moves going on through, you know, uh, really, I guess, somewhat Sunday night, but really Monday morning until Thursday afternoon. Mark, you, you touched on something that uh, I wanted to kind of follow up on real quick here, and you mentioned Scott Boris. You know, Boris is really the guy that, in a lot of ways, is controlling the free agent market here for the remaining crop of players with, you know, obviously the big fish and Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon, but even some of the players that the Sox would potentially have interest in, you know, with Hunjin Ryu, Nick Castellanos. Has that relationship that has been really fractured for almost the better part of two decades here, has that repaired enough to the point where we can confidently see the Sox make a legitimate offer and potentially secure a Boris client in free agency? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, they wouldn't have gone through the trouble of, you know, having the meetings with Bryce Harper and having Jim Tomey go meet with Bryce Harper if they didn't think they had a a shot there last year. You know, I, I think that's probably a little exaggerated over the last, like, five or six years. I just think there hasn't been guys that they, aside from, you know, last offseason, you know, Carlos Rodon's a Boris guy. They drafted him. They could have drafted someone else up at that spot. They had done that for a while, you know, where they stayed away from guys who Boris was advising in the draft. And, you know, he's a, he's a Boris guy. I think Vizieto, when he first came over going way back, was a Boris guy. So it's not like, you know, they've stayed completely away. I, I think there's a respect on both sides between, you know, Jerry and the front office, Jerry Reiser with the front office and Scott Boris. It, you know, if you're a player, I think you want a guy like Scott Boris in your corner, right? He's going to get you the money. Now, you know, if the Sox are going after a guy who he has and there's another guy maybe who's close to what they want on that. And, you know, they, they may not be able to wait if he's like, well, no, we're going at this pace and that kind of thing. But yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I, I think it just so happened that some of the guys they pursued early weren't Boris guys. So you could read into that. That's like, Oh, you know, they're going around the, the Boris crew, but I just think it just happened to be two guys. They really targeted who they really liked and, you know, Grandal and Wheeler and they neither one was represented by Scott Boris, but I don't, that won't be a that won't be a barrier for them in terms of you know adding players. Merck, what's one bold prediction you have for the White Sox during these upcoming winter meetings? Wow, that's a good one. Um, during the upcoming winter meetings, you know, it's well, I, put it this way. I don't know. If this is, I'll start with a simple one. I think they're going to make two moves at least in the winter meetings. I'm not saying exactly what they are. I really believe, and I don't. I, there's nothing that I really have based on from like key information or whatever. I think they're going to sign Keuchel. Now, again, you look at that and say, well, why didn't they go after him last year? But I think, you know, he probably wanted to go somewhere where he could win last year by the time he signed with the Atlanta Braves. But I really think that he's a guy who kind of fits well in that ballpark. He fits real well in that rotation. He's been there, done that in terms of, you know, competing in the postseason and that kind of thing. 
don't know if it's going to happen at the winter meetings, but I think he's a guy they're going to. But I do think the Sox come out of there, and I'm not talking like Rule Five pickups or anything like that. I think they make two moves while the team is in, while the you know everyone's in San Diego. How about one bold move for the league in general? Uh, I think Rendon signs during the winter meetings. That's that's again purely a guess, but he seems like a guy who doesn't want to. You know, he he knows what he wants. He wants to get it done. Now, I guess the only thing would be is if, you know, the Nationals, I saw a story today that had um, Warner, Mark Warner say that, you know, he didn't think they could bring back Strasburg and Rendon. So if Rendon wanted to stay there and they were still in the process of negotiating, maybe, you know, they would buy a little time to see, if, you know, they'd go back to him. But I, I really think he's going to sign during the winter meetings. I may be completely off on that. Again, not really anything anyone has told me on that. It's just kind of watching him and watching his mannerisms during the playoffs and the World Series and how what a great year he had, really, from start to finish with that team. You know, it was tremendous in the postseason. I just think he's a guy who probably is going to, you know, say, let's get this done. You know, the offers are going to be there. I don't think they're going to change a lot. They're going to be great offers for him and kind of move on and, you know, get ready for the next season. So that, that's, that's my bold prediction there. We'll see if that plays out at all. That's why we call them bold predictions. So we appreciate that. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. We, we, we gotta be a I guess bit saying like about. saying like Rick Hahn is going to show up on Monday is not really a bold prediction, right? That's pretty. That's pretty safe bet, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty safe. Uh, just really quick, we'll get into twenty twenty a second. But what's it like? You know, you're head, you said you're heading out there. Uh, what's the week like for you? Is that like extremely hectic or crazy, or is there a lot? You know, downtime when. Uh, you know, there's not much going on or like, what, what, what is that like for you uh, covering it out there? You know, it's very strange. I mean, it's, it's like last year, I have a, I have a number of friends who live in Las Vegas. So last year I took vacation before the winter meeting. So I was in Las Vegas for like 10 days, which is a little long for Las Vegas, I think, but, but I'm here to say that I, that I made it through, but it's interesting because there are certain things that are scheduled, you know, like Ricky Renteria, every manager has a session with his, you know, with the media. And I should say his media. I mean, those are the people who are most interested, but there are other media who come in too, you know, because they're doing, you know, national guys are doing stories on the division or doing stories on a certain team or, you know, the Indians guy wants to write something with input from the Sox side. So they'll sit in on that too. Then you meet with Rick Hahn every day at a certain time. And, you know, obviously that changes if they make a move, you know, you Scott Reifert, who's the VP of communications or Bob Bechtel, Ray Garcia, the media relations people there. They say, okay, Rick is meeting at three o'clock today, and then they sign someone at twelve. Well, that changes it then. Obviously, you, you don't wait until three for that. And then, really, you just kind of work the lobby and uh, talk to people. You catch up with some people you haven't seen in a while. You get some interesting tidbits that may help you that week, that may help you down the line. And sometimes you hear like great stories. I remember uh, one night, I, I can't remember which winter meetings it was. I think it was Orlando. I want to one of the Orlando times. No, I think it was one of the Nashville times actually. I was in the lobby in a group talking with Jerry Reinsdorf and the late great Eddie Einhorn. And they were telling tremendous stories about Charlie Finley's ownership of the A's and just, you know, captivating everyone around him. And, and sometimes that's part of it too, because there's a, you know, there's a lot of waiting around that goes too. I mean, and, the, and then you wait around for a half hour, or two hours or two and a half hours or four hours, whatever it is to get that one tidbit in like 30 seconds to run with it and go to work kind of thing. So there, but you know, there are, and then they're, they're going to announce the Frick award and the modern day committee has the announcement on the hall. You know, if anyone made the hall of fame on Monday, I think, or I'm sorry, Sunday night, we have our all MLB team that's coming out over there. So it's not just like completely unstructured, you know, it's really based on the minor league side and there's a lot of seminars and that kind of thing. But in terms of our faction, there are scheduled events. There's a, there's a media luncheon. Well, it's a manager's luncheon and like 
each manager has a table. Yeah, you know, I remember a, a couple years, um, you know, Ozzy you know, would come and he would do like his session, and then he'd leave. He wouldn't stay for the whole winter meetings. So we, the 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 White Sox media was kind of orphans at the table. It would just be us. And I remember one year Doug Padilla, who did a great job covering the White Sox for the Sun Times and ESPN Chicago at one point, tried to get into the uh, the, the manager photo when Ozzy wasn't there. Even Gardy encouraged him to come in, but. They kind of blocked that before he got in. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on, but there's also kind of a lot of waiting and talking and, you know, looking for information while you're there too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, It's just interesting to hear from an insider's perspective and someone who's been there uh, and who will be there. So uh, we're looking forward to your coverage from there, Merck. Um, uh, We're going to move on really quick. Uh, We we don't want to keep you too long, but, um, you know, it's hard to predict exactly who's going to be on this roster and, you know, what kind of moves are going to be made. Uh, We kind of already touched on that. So let's uh, go a little bit more in for what we know is already here for 2020. Um, First question that I always have, I like to ask guests is, uh, what does Michael Kopech's comeback look like? Uh, How's it coming along? And, um, you know, there's been comments about, you know, him starting the year in AAA, um, and uh, kind of, you know, even though he had that surgery in September. So uh, in your opinion, wh- wh- what is that going to look like and when are we going to see him finally on the south side again? Well, I last year I had talked to him myself just one-on-one by phone a few weeks before he did a conference call with the media in September. And both times he sounded real encouraged. And I haven't spoken to him since then. But, you know, I think at this point, I was joking with Chris Getz about this during the offseason, that we get as much information as you guys do from their social media. You know, as we're in the old days, you had to call and kind of talk to him all the time. But, you know, it seems to be – everything seems to be coming along great. He hasn't had any setbacks, knock on wood. And, yeah, I think they're just being very cautious with him because of the fact that he's going to have some sort of innings cap this year because he hasn't pitched in a regular season game since, what, September of 2018, right? That last game where uh, Detroit hit four homers off him, and then, they, you know, two days later, Rick gave that kind of, I guess, sad press conference, although it turned out okay now that, you know, he, had, he was going to have Tommy John. And he really hadn't pitched in, what do you have, four or five starts, I want to say, that year. So it's not like he's got a great body of major league work before that. So I understand they're going to kind of ease him back into this. And it may mean, you know, two or three weeks in Charlotte pitching before he comes back. They did a phenomenal job with Dylan Cease last year. You know, Dylan Cease, we all were kind of watching, and we'd talk to him, and he'd just kind of laugh every now and then, like the first two or three weeks of spring training. You know, he didn't do a lot. I mean, he did his stuff. He did his arm work, but he wasn't throwing a lot because they were really – they knew he was coming up in 2019 and they were going to maximize his innings starting in spring training, you know, starting in that he only threw an inning or two when he went into Cactus League games or minor league games during spring training. And he didn't even really start until like the end of the first week in March to start, you know, start pitching at that spot. So they know what they're doing. They, they know they haven't mapped out. And I, I would not be surprised if Michael Kopech is not part of that, you know, opening day roster, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he's with the team, you know, shortly thereafter. Mark, if you were a betting man, um, you know, there's some speculation and some people wondering if the Sox will keep him down in Charlotte long enough to get that extra year of control back. If you were a betting man, what would you put the odds on him being in Charlotte long enough for the Sox to regain that extra year of control? Yeah, you know, I know there's the whole control issue on all these guys, and I know that people kind of roll their eyes when they hear certain things that the Sox say about, you know, oh, he, he needs work on this and work on this. But I really do think in Kopech's case, you know, he's, he's, you know, one of their crown jewels that they've acquired in this rebuild. You know, he is, and this is not taking away from anything else. I always feel weird talking about that because like, you feel like you're diminishing other guys who are very good too, but you know, Michael Kopech and Yohan Moncada, nothing against Basabi and um, Victor Diaz. Who I don't think he has pitched for the Sox since they got him. You know, they were the two main guys in the trade of, you know, arguably 
if not the best, one of the best pitchers in White Sox history when Chris Sale went to Boston. So they're going to do everything they can to get the most out of him. And I think really in this case, it's, you know, it, it's, it's about health, they're, not health, but it's about managing his innings and, you know, doing what they can to, to have to maximize his effort at the major league level, because if they believe they're contending this year, and I get that you can lose the division or win the division in April. You know, we've heard all that, that, you know, team, what is it? I'll go way back to the 84 Tigers who started off 35 and five and Cruz and ended up winning the world series. And, you know, but you also see teams like the nationals this past year who start off slow and come back. I just think they want him in the prime moments for this next season. And I, I think that it'll be based on where they feel he is in terms of recovery and what he needs to get to be the best at the major league level when he gets there. And that may be opening day. Who knows? You know, we'll see as spring training plays out. Mert, do you see any situations where he winds up in the bullpen this year? I've seen that floated around on Twitter a little bit where people are saying, you know, maybe he comes back and in order to save his innings, he winds up in the bullpen. And in my opinion, his spot's in the starting rotation. Um, he's arguably one of the top three guys that they have right now. Um, I wouldn't even say arguably. I think he is just from pure talent standpoint. But uh, do you see any situation where he winds up in the bullpen? Well, I think it's possible. I mean, think about it. He would be one hell of a closer, wouldn't he? I mean, if you if you uh, if you ended up adding a couple of starters and put him down there, but I don't think they're going to that level yet. They they view him as a starting pitcher. He views himself as a starting pitcher. The only thing about using him in the bullpen is, you know, that kind of defeats the purpose of you know, watching him and maintaining his, you know, building his strength and that kind of thing, because, you know, as opposed to making 22 starts for the Sox during the year, he may end up pitching, you know, 50 times if he works out of the bullpen. So I think that's all, I think it's all on the table for him. You know, Rick has kind of talked in, in big pictures. I know he mentioned a little bit at the GM meetings. I heard that tape, but I think as probably by Sox Fest or just after the first year, I think we'll have a better picture of what the plan is for Michael Kopech. Yeah, I know Coop very early on in the offseason, once he has everyone in place, so not like, you know, October, but like December, midway through December, at least the start of the year, starts laying out just even the schedules, you know, for the spring training. Yeah, I get that they make the big announcement at the end of camp on, you know, who's the opening day starter and who's this, but barring injury, they kind of know going in, you know, well before what the one through five is going to look like and where they're going to need the guys. So. I think once that starts getting laid out, we'll know a little bit more about what's, you know, what his, what his role is going to be and what they see for him. And, you know, actually, sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, we'll probably find out more this week because this will be a, that'll be a question. That's the thing about winter meetings I should add too, is not all questions focus solely on what they're doing and what, you know, what they're moving during that week. There's stuff about the team too. So Kopech, Dunning, Jake Berger, you know, Zach Birdie, all these guys will be questions that Rick will probably get thrown his way when he's meeting with the media, what, uh, four times in four days. And if, you know, some days there's no moves made, well, that's what you kind of go to for the story. Yeah, uh, definitely going to be interesting to see um, what what happens with Michael Kopech there and then all those other guys, too, uh, with injuries that you had said. So one guy that's not injured, but uh, we were kind of talking about fluctuation possibly between starting rotation and bullpen. Another guy um, that could be, uh, I think, either in the future here is uh, Reynaldo Lopez. Um, you, right. Any just kind of projection on him? Uh, I feel like I, you never want to say this about a guy, and it's not you know set in stone that this is it, but I feel like this is kind of a make-or-break year for Reynaldo Lopez in determining uh, what his role is uh, going forward. Well, it's kind of interesting because I was talking about the comparison between the end of 18 and the end of 19. and the end of 18, he was kind of like the one thing you felt good about coming out of that year, right? I mean, Moncada's numbers weren't bad, but he struck out 217 times. 
Giolito led the AL in walks and led all baseball and earned runs allowed. Jose had had a slightly down year for him because he had those, you know, kind of weird medical issues the last six weeks of the season. And I'm, I'm probably, you know, Jimenez wasn't up yet. Robert in the minors, you know, last year had superhuman numbers. That year battled injuries. I don't believe he had a home run the entire minor league season that he played through that year, whatever, you know, games he had and at bats he had. And Lopez finished strong and had, you know, whatever the one three two ERA in his last eight starts. I think with him, you know, the talent is there. And it's just, it's focus. And you can tell how frustrating it is because, you know, Ricky Renteria, God bless the guy, had rotator cuff. I believe it was rotator cuff. It was, it was shoulder surgery last year. The man came back, but, you know, it was wearing the sling for like the last three weeks of the season. So Joe McEwing made pitching changes. Don Cooper did all the visits. The only time he went out there was to kind of get on Lopez. So you can see d- during a start. And, I, and I'm not, you know kind of piling on Lopez because I think he's got a, a, a live arm and he's got great stuff. And he's shown that he threw a one hitter against the Indians who were a playoff caliber team with 11 strikeouts at progressive field. And that one hit was a ball that, you know, maybe a guy who's a regular right fielder, which Ryan Goins was not, maybe gets to, you never know. So it's there. But the thing about the rebuild is, yeah, you, you know, you give young guys a chance to, to make these starts, you know, they make 30, you know, Giolito, if he's on a playoff contender in 18, probably isn't in the majors the entire year. But the fact that he's on was on a rebuild, he gets to play through that whole season, figure things out in the off season, and then become you know a staple of the rotation. Last year, finished tied for sixth in Cy Young. But it also works the other way that you can show, hey, you know we've given him you know how many starts, uh, 62 starts for Lopez, 63 over two years, whatever he gets this year, and then eventually say, hey, you know he plays better in the bullpen, or maybe we look to you know move him, but. in the end process of that whole thing, you know, it's not a bad thing to have a guy like Lopez in the bullpen too. You know, that, that, that has, that changed kind of in the, I guess it was the 16 playoffs with the way Terry Francona used Andrew Miller and Cody Allen and that sort of thing. Maybe it was even before that, but I just remember that distinctly, you know, where guys were getting saves in the fourth inning or fifth inning when they were pitching two innings then, and they were going to other guys, you know, to close the game out at the end there. So you know, it's a, it could be a valuable force there, but I think he's going to, you know, barring something changing, he's going he's gonna to get a chance to show himself at the start of this year. I don't know if it's a make or break year because I think they consider him part of the picture still, but I think in terms of his starting spot, he's got to, you know, he, he said a number of times, you know, he said at the break he was going to be better in the second half, and he was for a good month and then kind of faded a little bit. He said at the end of the season he's going to be better this year, and he's figured some things out. So we'll see how he follows that up with what he said. Merrick, I want to follow up on that statement that he made because that was going to be my next question for you. How much of of these issues that Reynaldo is facing do you think are mental? Um, When I hear a guy come out and say, well, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to be better, um, that kind of leads me to believe maybe you weren't giving it your all during the first half of last year. And and if you're able to identify kind of what your problems are and you say you're going to be better and you turn out better, um, how much of that do you think is, is just Reynaldo Lopez preparation and, and mental state going into some of these starts? I think he gave it his all. I, I really do. I think there were just times where, and, and they knew it right away. They could tell right away in the dugout when, you know, his fastball was 92 or 93, or he just didn't have the crispness on his pitches. And they, you know, they'd be on him early in the game. And I think he's a young kid. I know he's a young kid. And I think it just, you know, kind of left him every now and then. But I do agree with you on one thing, that it's great to have that attitude. It's great to say, I'm going to be better. But sometimes I think, you know, I do that too. I'm, I say to myself, you know what, tomorrow after whatever game is done, I'm going to, you know, 
clean up my place a little bit because it's a little messy right now. Well, that's great for me to say it, but it's better if I just don't say anything and just start cleaning, you know, instead of making a big announcement to myself that tomorrow afternoon at four, I'm going to do it because eventually I'll find something else to do and, and avoid that. So I think it's the same thing with Lopez. It's great that he believes that. It's great that he figures things out. But I think people from the White Sox to the fan base don't want to just hear him say it. They want to see him implement it. And he did for a little bit in the second, for more for a little bit, for an extended period in the second half. But they want this over the course of the season from him. So, again, I, I would shoot down the, the lack of effort. I think, you know, he, he works hard. He benefited a lot. He had a good relationship with Ivan Nova, who's, you know, done this a long time and been successful for a long time. And I think he knows where he's got to go to kind of to kind of fix this in 2020. Hey, Mark. Um, you know, one of the other areas of discussion that a lot of people on Twitter are having is regarding Luis Robert, Nick Madrigal, and to a lesser extent, Andrew Vaughn. Uh, but with you know Robert and Madrigal, two guys that are expected to be integral parts of this team here in 2020. Um, when do you think that we can realistically expect to see them up at 35th and Shields? And do you think that either one of them could potentially get the Rick Hahn contract extension special in spring training. Well, I think, you know, in order to have that, you have to have both sides agree, you know? So I think it's, 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 it's gotta be something they want too. you know, that's been the key thing that's kind of overlooked with some of these guys that, that have signed is that this, it's been a mutual thing. You know, Eloy Jimenez liked the security, Tim Anderson liked the security, you know, what they got, and they were treated fairly too, for where they were in their career. Don't, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, you know, Rick was like twirling his mustache, which he doesn't even have. And, you know, you know, trying to get them into some contract they shouldn't have. That they, that, but I, I'll give an example. You know, Chris Sale signed that very, you know, team-friendly contract early on and I think was ended up being worth about $60 million with options and everything else. And I remember each spring training as he, you know, developed – he was an all-star every year as a starter for the White Sox. Each spring training that went by and Scherzer signed and Kershaw signed and everything else, I'd go to him, other reporters would go to him and say, you know, hey, how do you feel about that? And he's like, I'm good. He's like, I knew what I was signing. I knew what I wanted. This was fine. Everyone advised me on it. And I'm, I'm happy. He's, I'm happy for them. And I'm happy for, you know, what I have too. So that's what you kind of have to have. You have to have guys who, you know, who want to do that at this point. And some guys want to wait. Some guys want to play it out year to year and just and let it go to that. And some guys don't mind doing the, you know, the early six, seven-year contract. I think Aloy's is eight, right, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So it, it'll be interesting. But I think, you know, Ricky Renteria kind of hinted at this last year. I think if he w- had his way, I think he would have had Robert and Mandrigal up pretty early on last year. I think he, he knows their skills and he likes their skills so much and probably would have liked to have seen them kind of get their early struggles out of the way during a year that, you know, I don't want to say didn't matter, but they weren't going to contend. How about that? That's a better way to put it. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think Mandrigal's probably a step behind Robert, so I would be real surprised if Madrigal breaks camp as the second baseman. I would think he's more along the lines of like, you know, maybe a May guy or something like that. But I, I think Robert could break camp with the team, and if not, he'll be there, you know, very shortly after the season starts. He, his, the bulk of, not even the bulk of his work, the almost all of his work will be with the White Sox next year, barring something completely unexpected. I've got a two-parter coming up here for you, Mark. Um, the first right. one, the first one is you mentioned Rick Hahn does not have a mustache and mustaches in Chicago mean success. Does Rick Hahn need to grow a mustache <laughs> in order for this team to win a world series? Uh, I'll let you answer that first. And I got one more for you. <laughs> well, that's something. Now I have a question for a lull of the winter meetings. I'll bring that up. Uh, you know, I, I know, am I missing one? I know, of course, Mike Ditka, Joe Quenville, who else am I missing? Oh, Phil Jackson, of course. Right. 
did Joe Mad? I, I for some reason I can't picture if Joe Madden had one or not. I guess he did, right? Uh, I think he had more of the goatee look going on, but uh, I more guess of the goatee look. Okay, yeah. So there you go. There's there's what four world champions right there, and they all had some form of head. But but maybe it's more Ricky Renteria's got to grow, right? It's more about the coaches, I think. Yeah, it might it might have to be Ricky Renteria. So I mean, you could pose it to both of them. Uh, but uh, what I really wanted to ask here was. Uh, what is the effect of Grandal on these young pitchers? Do you expect to see him handle them in a way that's going to help them succeed more than even a James McCann type? I mean, we've all heard about uh, how great of a pitch framer Grandal is, and what can you expect out of this pitching staff just having him working with them on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I have this debate with a lot of people because I think I'm a little more old school, but I, I think one thing to be careful on is, yeah, I understand that, Grandal is kind of, you know, in the category of pitch framing is one of the experts. You know, you hear his name mentioned a lot. Tyler Flowers used to pitch, used to, pitch, used to catch for the Sox. But I mean, don't diminish what James McCann did last year. I understand that his pitch framing was not, you know, considered elite. But, I mean, I, you have to go by the pitchers, too. You know, I mean, pitchers went out of their way to compliment how prepared he was from spring training on and how much he worked at the game plan and how much he worked with each one of them to get what was best for them. I mean, you know, Giolito usually brought that up unsolicitedly, you know, not like you know, it wasn't like um, we had to pry it out of him. I mean, and, and that was the best pitcher by far on that staff last year. And for a, a good portion of the year, one of the best pitchers in the American league. So I think Grandal is going to help. I think you have two really good catchers back there right now, assuming McCann, you know, stays for the season and a young one developing in Zach Collins. So I, I think Grandal is just going to help by his presence overall. You know, I think everything Grandal brings, helps this team. That's why it was so important for them to get him knocked down early and, and get him as part of the organization. You know, he's a switch hitter with power who should take advantage of that ballpark. Although we've actually heard that before and guys haven't maybe totally done that, but I think he'll be great. He's a guy who gets on base, which was sorely lacking with the White Sox last year. He, he does a good job calling games. He's great at pitch framing. You know, he's a veteran. He's been in World Series. He's been in playoffs. So I think just his whole presence his whole kind of being is not only going to help the pitchers, but help a guy like Zach Collins, who he has worked with before in the offseason. So I, I think the combination is, is great for the White Sox. It really is. And, he, and he's a guy who, you know, if you want to use him at first base for a game or two or use him at DH for a little bit, you have a guy you completely trust, a couple of guys you trust in McCann and Collins, and McCann being, you know, more advanced at this point than Zach Collins is. Yeah, definitely going to be uh, exciting to watch him on the south side, both at the plate and behind the plate. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, all of that, how it plays out, um, like you had mentioned, both the combination of him and the pitchers himself, because um, I think that's a good point that you bring up that a lot of people uh, kind of like to overlook. So um, we appreciate that, Merck. Uh, we're we're going to let you get going here in a minute, but um, we wanted to wrap this up with kind of an overarching thing. Uh, obviously, still a lot to be done. You got the winter meetings coming up where a lot of action can happen, um, obviously free agency outside of that we saw we've seen it run into march um hell we saw it run into june technically last year um so right now i know it's hard to predict and know exactly who's going to be on this roster but a realistic set of expectations for this team next year and then a prediction uh just throw out a number for us record wise um and a standing in the al central uh just because we always have to put our guests on the spot a little bit here I mean, I think I can do it. I think it would be a, a, it'd be more accurate if I did it around, you know, January or February because, you know, who knows what they – and what if they add – what if something really crazy happens and they add Strasburg to the rotation? You know, that makes it – but I – put it this way. Much like I thought they would be last year, I think they will be decidedly better this year. Now, whether decidedly better means – what did they win? Uh, 73 – no, 70 – yeah, 73 and 80 
78 or 72 and 89, I think it was. Yeah, 72 and 89. They finished 62 and 100 the year before. So I think, you know, 84, 85 wins is, is a possibility. And I think if you make the right additions, you can maybe bump that to 90. And people kind of laugh at that. But, I mean, look at, you know, what the Twins did last year. Look what the Cubs did in Madden's first year. You know, I think there's, there's cases. I mean, it doesn't matter what they did. I mean, it's all about the team now. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like you're arguing a legal precedent. You know, the Sox aren't going to make the playoffs because they can say, well, look at how many games the Twins improved. It's, it's on them to do it. But remember this last year, that team was pretty decent last year for a good portion of the season. And then coming out of the all-star break, they lost Tim Anderson. Well, they had already lost him, but they lost him for that stretch. Eloy Jimenez got hurt and they went four and 16 and that pretty much, you know, submarine the season. And they were kind of up and down and they had other, you know, uh, injury problems, you know, Lucas Giolito misses last three starts, but that was not a bad, it wasn't a championship team. But for year three of the rebuild, that was a pretty competitive team for, what, 90 games last year? So they're really – it's not like you're saying, oh, well, this team won 59 last year. How are they going to get to the playoffs? You know, I, I think it's a team that can win 84, 85 games this year. Now you have absolutely no – you know the Tigers and Royals are not going to be in contention this year. That's obvious. And you really don't know what the Indians are going to do. That's a big X factor in that division. And the Twins should be very good again. So, you know, it's not like it's going to be a, a, a cakewalk if they, you know, make the right moves to get in there. But I think they should turn it, you know, they could turn it easily from a two-team race into a three-team race in the AL Central. All right. Uh, we appreciate that, uh, Merck. Uh, definitely interesting to get your perspective on it. So uh, hopefully we can follow up with you. You know, you said you can give a little more accurate uh, picture of it when we get closer to spring training here. So uh, maybe sure. we'll have to have you back on and get it, uh, get the full assessment then. So um, you, you enjoy your time out at the winter meetings. Uh, we'll be following along. And um, guys, you got any th- last words here for Merck before we let him go? No, nah, Merck, just really appreciate you taking time to come out here and uh, look forward to uh, – doing some more Seinfeld play-by-play with you on Twitter here in the coming weeks. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I always enjoy when I see the uh, season eight and season nine. Uh, I, I know there are more purists than I am who like, like from, you know, literally the first episode, it was the Seinfeld Chronicles at the end. But, man, those last two years were about as funny as a sitcom can be. Maybe as good as a TV show can be those last, those last two years uh, with Seinfeld. As Hawk would say, you might tie it, but you can't beat it. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly it. Mercy. I'm going to lead that into one last question I had for you, Mark. Is Hawk Harrelson a Hall of Famer? Well, I mean, I think he is. I don't know if necessarily he's going to win this balloting because he's in a really good group. This whole, yeah, just out of my head, I know the guy, um, I think his name is Doucet, uh, who did the Expos for a long time, very well known. Pat Hughes has been a broadcaster for a long time. Uh, Tom Hamilton, who I love listening to when we're in Cleveland, is on that ballot too, along with Hawk. So there are some great choices. But Hawk, in my mind, is just, I mean, he's almost, more than I mean, he is more than a broadcaster. He was kind of like a cultural phenomena, right? I mean, and I get that people. I don't think people are split because I think there's a large more, large more. That's not great grammar. There's a much larger base of Sox fans who loved him than the few than the smaller base who thought, no, he's too you know old school or too this or too that. I think people really enjoyed his. I mean, you know. I still use his vernacular. I know AJ has talked about this a number of times, AJ Brzezinski, that people use his vernacular all the time and everyday, everyday stuff, you know, I mean, and I think he just made that kind of imprint and impact on people who are and a great guy to talk to. I mean, you know, people joke about his comments about Yaz and Sam McDowell, but he really knows the game. Well, I mean, he really knows it and he can give, you know, I mean, he, I know he wants to be involved 
I forgot what the years are. I think it's maybe two more years where he'll have played and be part of baseball for parts of eight decades, which is insane. So, I mean, he's seen baseball develop over the years, and I, I just think he's a great guy. And I, I hope whether it's this time, I think it's uh, Tuesday they announce it, or whether it's the next vote, I hope he gets in because, A, he's a great guy. I think he did a great job for the White Sox, for the organization, and as a broadcaster. And how about that? What would that speech be like if Hawk had to give a speech for the Hall of Fame? That would be, you know, that would be viral right away when it, with, with, with the color that he would bring to it. It would be tremendous. You're giving me goosebumps just thinking about Hawk making a Hall of Fame speech right now, Mert. <laughs> you know, I echo what these guys said. Thanks so much for coming on, Merck. I really enjoyed sure. all your insights and everything. Um, hope we get to, uh, like Johnny said, uh, follow up on this conversation when we know a little bit more about what this roster is going to look like going into the season. But, uh, guys, I'll turn it back over to you if you have anything else to say on the Hawk situation. But other than that, I'm good. Yeah, I hope he gets in. I'm totally with Merck. I Cannot wait to see that speech uh, when it finally does happen. Uh, hopefully that is sooner rather than later. Um, but, yeah, Steve, last thought? Yeah, no, you guys hit the nail on the head. I mean, I there can't possibly be a speech that would be more entertaining than Hawk in Cooperstown. Yeah, I, I think unless Ozzy somehow unless Ozzie somehow got in someday. But I think uh, I think Hawks would be would be an all time great. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, Merck, once again, we thank you for taking the time uh, before you're heading out to San Diego for those winter meetings. So make sure you go and follow in Scott Merck and I uh, covers the White Sox for MLB.com. Uh, he was kind enough to join us here on Sox on Tap uh, to give a little preview of the winter meeting. So, uh, Merck, you have a good rest of your night, and we're going to close this thing out here. Okay, guys, take care. Talk to you soon. Scott Merkin from MLB.com covering the White Sox. Very, very good discussion around what the White Sox are going to do in the winter meetings in 2020 and a lot of other stuff, even some Hawk Harrelston uh, Hall of Fame talk and even whether or not Rick Hahn should grow a mustache. Um, guys, what did you think of that conversation? That was really a lot of fun. You know, I think Scott, having covered the team for as long as he has and some of the access that he has to a lot of the personnel, both on the field and in the front office, I think he gives some really valuable insight to just, you know, some of the strategic plans that the team might have, you know, obviously without being able to, you know, tip his hand a little bit to some of the inside knowledge that he has. So it's always good to just get uh, his perspective, like I said, of someone who's around the team on a day in and day out basis. Yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, to talk to him. You know, he's a great Twitter foul. Um, I love following Scott, and, you know, he interacts with people fairly frequently, like Steve had mentioned, uh, with the, uh, you know, Seinfeld gifts and all of that uh, kind of good stuff. And we know he's a big uh, Michigan fan, so I always see him get all riled up on uh, Wolverines game days and whatever. So uh, j- just interesting, you know, to get get to pick his brain about the subject that he covers. So, um, you know, I'm sure planning for the winter meetings, uh, he, he may want, you know, to get away from uh, this kind of talk, so he's going to have an earful of it and more next week. So uh, I just really appreciate him uh, taking the time to talk to Socks on Tap here. Yeah, but uh, one last thing before we we close this down, um, I kind of want to go round table here because uh, we turned it over to to Scott for most of the the talk on this episode. I wanted to go round table here and, and just get your guys' kind of thoughts going into the winter meetings too, especially right after. Uh, missing out on not only Zach Wheeler, but also Cole Hamels, two names that the Sox were linked to. Um, I'll start with Steve. Uh, where do we go from here in your mind? All right. There's one thing I want to see happen. I alluded to it earlier on Twitter. Um, Tony, you saw it. You commented on it. 
Hashtag bring Sale home. The Red Sox, they want a clear payroll. Chris Sale's the guy to do it. Sox got a hole in the rotation now. Bring him home. I think you're a little crazy in this whole hashtag bring Sale home thing here. I just don't see it as realistic. I don't know why, but oh, I, I, I don't. I'm all about the sentiment. I don't see it happening, though. Yeah, I don't see it happening. Like, so we got to speak where, it where's, 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 saying? I want to. I want to know where your thought process is here. What does a deal for him look like? Well, you know, I figure so he's got 145 million dollars and five years left on that contract. If the Sox say took, you know, 120 or 125, basically what they just offered. Zach Wheeler, if they take that money back and give the Red Sox Jonathan Stever, you know, I mean, they've made it very clear that they have to get under that luxury tax. And if you look at some of the high priced players that they have on that team between Chris Sale, David Price, I mean, they're they're fixed costs right there. Mookie Betts, you know, is going to get, you know, somewhere around twenty seven, twenty eight million dollars a year in arbitration. So I just think Sale is someone that they would move at this point. Now I understand he's got full no trade protection at this point here. And, you know, from some of the people I've talked to, it it has been communicated to me that there really aren't hard feelings uh, between Sox or the Sox front office and sale and some of his representation. Now, whether or not that's true, we ultimately don't know, but if it's me, I would try to make that move because the Sox know him. They know what they're going to get from him. It's not like a scenario like with Zach Wheeler. You ultimately don't know what you're going to get from him because you don't know the person on an intimate level. The Sox drafted this guy. He went up through their system, so they know him on an intimate level, and they know some of the baggage that comes along with him. And you would hope that at this point in his career now, he's in his 30s. He's hopefully a little more mature now. He's not going to go cutting any shit up anymore. So... I just think that's a guy, look, let's find a way to bring him home. He never should have left in the first place. Come sail away, baby. Bring him home. I love it. I, I totally would be down for that. Um, and I'm you know, not adverse at all to trading uh, Jonathan Stever and then picking up that money because um, there's nothing on the books, man. Uh, even with the, the Grandal signing and the Abreu extension, man, we are in a position uh, to take money off of other teams' hands, and especially the motivation factor. Like you had said, the Boston Red Sox really, really want to get under that luxury tax, and that is a uh, key for them. So um, I'm totally about it. I, I unfortunately don't see it happening. Um, you know, uh, there may also be factors uh, from his previous time with the White Sox uh, that may push him away from it a little bit. But um, who, who knows? Uh, it would be amazing to see it happen. But my thing here, Tony, if you're if you're going for a thought here, I know we kind of branched off into Steve's there. Mine would be you got to make a you got to make an impact trade now. Um, I feel like you could have been a little more lax and made some minor trades. Uh, let's make an impact trade. Um, and at these winter meetings and kind of, you know, shock people, shock MLB Network, have them talking about us for, uh, you know, a couple days uh, during that thing where we're owning the storyline because we picked up, you know, whether it be, you know, Jack Peterson or someone else and uh, whatever it may be. I couldn't honestly lay out a deal with you. I would love to see Jack Peterson here. Uh, I think he would hit, you know, the shit out of the ball uh, on the south side of Chicago. But, um you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but definitely got to sign someone else. And uh, I would like a trade because uh, when you look at, uh, I know Merck had said he sees him signing Dallas Keuchel and that's okay, but that can't be your biggest next impact move. Um, that's just my opinion on it. I like where you're going with it. I'm not exactly sold 
on on Jock Peterson. Um, but uh, you know, I I like where you your your mind is at with the make an impact trade, and I think that has to happen at some point. I know when we were talking to Merck, he kind of. I don't know. He kind of just set the tone a little bit that they're not really at the position yet to be moving guys like Andrew Vaughn or Nick Madrigal or um, we all know that Luis Roberts off the table. That's that's a pretty much a certain here. I think he's probably the most untradeable person in this organization if you're Rick Hahn. But um, I'm in the camp where if you have the right deal to move an Andrew Vaughn or a Nick Madrigal right now for somebody who is going to be a very, very high-impact, absolute star on this team. I think you'd do it. Um, I've seen Nolan Arenado's name out there. Obviously, Chris Bryant's name's out there. A lot of these third basemen are out there for some reason right now. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'd, I'd make that move in a heartbeat. If it if it's Andrew Vaughn plus for, for uh, Chris Bryant or somebody of that ilk, um, I think you need to bring in uh, a, a really good hitter. But I'm also, uh, as Merkin said too, um, I'm in the camp where you need to go acquire a, a starting pitcher here to, to shore up this rotation because right now I'm looking at my 20-game plan and how many games Dylan Covey are probably going to pitch during it if they don't make another move, and I'm not happy about it. So that's where I'm at. Don't bring that name up. Don't bring Dylan Covey up, please. I, <laughs> dude, yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I'm thinking about LT, you know, whatever. Uh, and multiply that um, by a 40-game plan. Obviously, we'll be out at a bunch more, too. So um, I definitely don't want to see that. Um, it's got to be impact. Uh, whatever the move, next moves are, they got to be impact. There's no more dumpster diving. Uh, there's no more Adrisa Martispanes. There's no more Irvin Santanas. That's unacceptable. They can't be doing that. Um, even some of these non-tender guys. I know people like to, you know, talk about taking a chance. There's probably only two or three candidates out of those. And, you know, a couple of those would be bench guys. Another one may be the reliever. Um, Trinan. Trinan, was that it? Okay, yeah, from uh, Oakland. Yeah. He might be the reclamation project if you're going that route. But I'm sure there's a bunch of teams that uh, want to, um, you know, t- take a chance on that. So it's like they're in a position to make the impact moves here. Let's do it. And, and this division is so weak that it, it's just time. Uh, make the step up and do it. Um, it was deflating, not getting Wheeler, but... It happened. I'm glad that it happened earlier because now we can just kind of move on from that and, uh, you know, do what we need to do with the, you know, pieces that are still available out there. And obviously um, those are just free agents and then trades. That, that's why my other uh, sentiment there is I'd like to see a trade. Let's use some of this prospect capital that we've built up. That's what you do it for. Uh, obviously, some of it pans out and they become your core pieces. But then other ones are used as assets and in trade value. So. Um, that, that's just where I stand on the whole thing. And uh, I'm going to be nervous uh, winter meetings, and I hope they're active um, because I don't kind of don't want to wait around until January, February again, biting my nails every night, refreshing Twitter. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I think one thing that you just brought up there, Johnny, with the fact that uh, this happened in early December is a, a little bit of a, I guess, a good thing. Because, you know, just think back to last year and how long we waited out for this whole Manny Machado situation to play out, only to kind of end up with the same result there. Uh, You know, it does allow you to move on. You know, this is before the winter meetings even happen. There's plenty of time this offseason to still make it a successful offseason. I think that's what's really important here. Um, And I go back to something that we talked about, Steve, you and I, and Buzz on uh, on the last episode of Socks on Tap, where... You know, the signing of Yasmani Grandal 
as one of their top targets really set them up to have a very successful offseason. That still happened. And even though we missed out on Zach Wheeler, we still already have made an, a major acquisition to this ball club that's going to help them this year. I, I don't want to lose sight of that. We are still on the right path. Um, obviously, you know, you can go back and forth on whether or not, uh, you know, Zach Wheeler's camp used the White Sox in, his, in negotiations or whether or not we uh, played the whole thing outright. Uh, you go and you look at it. I've heard everywhere between 120 to 125 million dollars, seven million to two million dollars over what Philly offered Wheeler. Um, Merkin brought it up as well. Uh, it's Rick Hunt said it's free agency. These guys have the freedom to choose wherever they want to go. Obviously, from the start, it seemed like Wheeler wanted to go somewhere else. Um, I don't know if that exactly helps the White Sox from a PR perspective because we have the whole narrative that uh, players don't want to come here. But I mean. I just looked back a few weeks ago. We were talking about one of the biggest signings, the actually the biggest signing, uh, dollar-wise, the White Sox have ever made. So, obviously, there are guys who want to come here and play. I kind of dispel that notion just a little bit, you know, just based on very recent history. Um, you know, it's time to go out and get another one done, though. Obviously, they have money to spend. They kind of proved that right here. You know, you got Ken Rosenthal tweeting about how much money you have to spend um, just based off an offer that you just made. So there's obviously money that's ready to be spent. Uh, there's basically a blank check out there for another top-tier free agent to come sign. Let's just get it done. That's, you know, it, you have to close on one of these guys. There's plenty of them available. Let's go get another one and move on. Yeah, you got to figure it out. Figure it out. It's just time. Nut up and get it done. Uh, I think that's the bottom line here, Tony. I totally echo what you said. So um, that's about all I've got. Uh, it sucks, the Wheeler thing. And, you know, everyone can argue um, that their amount, their, if say it was 120. First of all, did you guys just, I want to clear something up. Did you guys hear an actual dollar amount, what it was? Or was it just 120 plus? Was that? I heard 125. Oh. I heard 125 yeah. today. Nightingale, Nightingale wrote 125. And I heard from an unconfirmed source who verified that all right so so i mean originally yesterday fans with sauces yeah yesterday it came out that it was 120 plus and i think a lot of people on twitter assumed that it was like 120 121 and i think you know finally hearing the 125 number um you know i i get that money isn't everything but they were well above um what what philly had to offer um, if that is the exact confirmed number of 125, I don't care if you want to take taxes and everything into it. I'm pretty sure once you do the math on that, it, it winds up to be at least equal or more. Um, so, you know, it it is what it is. Uh, the, he, he chose Philly for his reasons and the wife and, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, they've, they've obviously got money to spend, uh, you know, 20 to $30 million a year on somebody right now, and that gets you a premier talent in this league, and they've got to go out and get one. It's time to just get it done. I think we, that's the overarching message here um, from all of us. So um, I really don't have much else. I think we covered a lot of good topics there with Merck. I'm sure we'll have reaction episodes for what happens uh, during the winter meetings, uh, you know, praying something big does happen there. I think it will. Um, I, you know, we've seen it uh, being urgent in the past there. Um, obviously, the 2016 to kick off the rebuild, but um, to accelerate it, I think it'll be, you know, even more exciting. Uh, and there might even be a few more. I know there were two big trades in that 2016 one, um, but 
signings too uh, with the way that things are moving. Obviously a lot quicker than last year. Um, I like Merck's bold prediction where he said Anthony Rendon signs. I feel like he can be kind of a no bullshit type of guy uh, who will want to get you know something done there. So um, even that having a big chip fall off, whether you know the White Sox are in on that or not, I would imagine they're not. But uh, that can help the dominoes fall, so to say. That makes sense. Absolutely. I agree there, Johnny. Um, anything else you guys have before we uh, we close this one down? Hey, like like you were saying, hopefully we got some uh, news coming here in the next couple of days, and hopefully we have to do an emergency pod, you know, at some point uh, early part of next week. If not, I know I'll I'll be at the uh, event at Buffalo Wings and Rings next Friday for the uh, White Sox airing of grievances, you know, with uh, the 108 boys. So Tony, I, I know you said you were. Uh, you were going to be there, Johnny. You going to be there? Yeah, I got two spots uh, booked, so I plan on making it up there, and uh, hopefully we can get a nice uh, on tap crew out there. That'd be a good time. Yep, I, I will be there as well. I also have two spots. I'm uh, I'm still trying to find a plus one. I don't know about you, Johnny, but uh, we we've, we've got four spots reserved. Um, so hopefully, like Johnny said, we'll uh, we'll be there in large numbers, uh, cracking them and, and throwing some back and airing our own grievances. Yeah, I don't know about you guys. I'm not going to give it away, but my like white elephant stuff, you know, it's like people are talking about gag gifts. And I think in the description for the event itself, it was like, oh, win yourself a, you know, Birmingham Barons, Carson, Fulmer, Bobblehead or whatever. Like, that's all like hilarious and stuff. But first of all, I don't feel like going out and getting any like, you know, random like item to like bag up or whatever. So I have kind of stuff that's been left over um, or not my size here. And they're actually going to be some decent gifts uh, that I'll be handing out. So um, I think, uh, I don't know about you guys, what you're planning on bringing, but anyone who gets mine, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So look for whatever Johnny brings in his hand and then go for that. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm, give, I'm giving you the forewarning. So um, either way, though, it'll be a good time. Uh, you know, it's been a while since we've seen those guys uh, in person. We interact pretty frequently on social media and whatnot, but it's always get, good to get the uh, whole gang back together. I would imagine a lot of our, uh, you know, Lot B uh, tailgate crew will, will be out there as well. So um, it'll be a nice reunion. Unfortunately, we have to do this indoors, but hell, um, we'll be back in Lot B. I believe it's 112 days, gentlemen, uh, if I'm correct on my uh, 111 now, 111. So still too long. It's still too long. But think about the times earlier in the offseason we were tweeting, oh, my God, we got 155 days. So it's getting there. We got just a little bit over two months until they report to uh, Glendale. Yeah. I actually just uh, booked with uh, Andrew Kinsler. I, we just booked our uh, spring training uh, trip. So we'll be there closer to the end of it. But um, that was just the time that worked best availability-wise. So, um, you know, I'm really excited to get down there. Uh, it's very, like, one of the, I think, midweek of uh, March, like, right after St. Paddy's Day. Um, yeah. So that's, like, you know, like, literally, like, the last, like, few, you know, like, probably, like, three, four days of games. Um, so, yeah. And then they start that 26. So, yeah, my first game that I'll actually be at, at out there is a week before I'll be back on the south side uh, for the 26. Yeah, I mean, 19th through the 22nd are games that I'll be at out there. So okay, wrapping I'm it up. You. I'm going to miss you by a day out there then. Ah, damn. Well, that's right. At least we'll have some uh, spread out coverage for tap then. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to grab both of you guys while you're down there to do some uh, some pods from Arizona. Um, tons of off-season content coming from ONTAP Sportsnet. Johnny, I feel like this is the appropriate time to plug ONTAPSportsnet.com, where you should be going to get all of your Chicago sports articles. We've got Bears, we've got Hawks, we've got Bulls, we've got 
the Cubs, and we've got the White Sox and much more um, podcasts for everything. Um, be sure you're checking out uh, our Bears coverage. Uh, they should be doing a post-game show tonight. I'm not sure what the, what the score is or even if they've started yet. I think it, they're about to start get underway here in just a few minutes over there at Soldier Field. Um, guys, anything else before we close this out how we always do? Get it done. Nut up and get it done. I said it before, and we've probably hammered it home a million times, but it's just time. There's no other sentiment that I can really offer here because uh, we, we've got the one big signing, which is great. We missed on one, but it's not the end of the world. Like Billy Raphael wrote a uh, you know nice piece on that that kind of lays out uh, you know a plan going forward here, even without a Zach Wheeler. And, um, you know, this surprised me. That's my other thing. Surprised me. I'd like to see a little surprise trade that I wasn't expecting. Um, that, that's my last thought here. Spend the paper, bring sale home. Spending money is cool and tough. There's nothing better than spending money. It means you've got a high bankroll and that you're willing to spend it. When you spend money, you normally have a good time. So spending money is cool and tough. Go get it done. White Sox forever. White Sox forever. White Sox for life. <laughs>